0: Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Right now, we are in the middle of a sermon series that has really taken our church beyond belief. You know, that is where God has spoken over our, our, our church. That is the where we're going. You can look over here to my left, your right. It says beyond belief. That's what God spoke to Pastor Jared. That's that's the declaration. That's where we're headed. And, and uh, this sermon series is called Irresistible. If you have missed any of it, please, 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 I implore you. Go and get on our Facebook page. You can watch any of the sermons online there. Go get on our podcast. You can listen. You can download if you're on uh, Apple or if you're on uh, Android. You can do. You can get it all on there and listen to it. And don't just listen to it. Listen to it over and over again. Take notes. Go and study it out. Look in your own Bible. Be a good Berean. Don't just take our word for it. Okay look at it, double check it, but we've been in this sermon series called Irresistible, and for weeks we've been talking about the new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. Come on, say it again. Say new covenant. One more time. Say new covenant. All right, now you're awake. Now you're helping me out. We've been talking about how Jesus, when he came, his purpose was to inaugurate this new covenant. And in doing that, he was going to completely replace, I'll say that again, he was going to completely replace the old covenant. You know, the one between the nation of, God, of, of Israel and God. The one instituted by, by Moses at Mount Sinai. The new covenant that Jesus came to establish, please hear me, was not an addendum to, It was not, in addition to the old covenant, it was a complete replacement of. Last week, and please, if you missed this one, go back and listen to it. Bishop Jamie was here, and he took us through Hebrews chapter 8. I love the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 8, he showed us the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he starts to talk about this old covenant. Everybody say old covenant. Okay, there was an old covenant, and there is a new covenant now, and he's he's describing this old covenant, and he calls that old cov- covenant, he says it's a faulty covenant, and he says so... Because that was faulty, he says in Hebrews chapter 8 that God came to establish a new covenant. He came to establish a better covenant. He actually came to establish a perfect covenant because, listen, this covenant wouldn't be between God and humanity. God would actually establish this covenant between him and himself. But so it cannot be broken now. That's why it's a perfect covenant. In this letter, Apostle Paul says that this new covenant would make the old covenant obsolete. Everybody say obsolete. Obsolete. And so here's the thing. You heard Bishop Jamie say it. You've heard Pastor Jared say it. I'm going to say it. All of us, none of us have been born under the law. You understand that? We have all been born in the new covenant. And now us being born in the new covenant, we have nothing to do with the law or anything to do with the old covenant. Now listen, the Bible that we read has a lot of the old covenant in it. That doesn't mean we throw out that part of the Bible, right? We need to read that part of the Bible, but those parts don't pertain to us those laws don't pertain to us even the 10 commandments and and we've been saying these things and so if you've never heard that type of teaching before what probably starts to pop into your mind is okay 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 then what does it look like pastor for those of us who now live in this new covenant i know it's a it's a question that i asked it's a question that popped into my head because i grew up in a church that taught a mixture of Old Covenant and New Covenant. There was a mixture of of Old Covenant thoughts and New Covenant thoughts. I grew up hearing people tell me about, this unconditional awesome love of God out of one side of their mouth and then out of the other side of their mouth they would tell me well you better get your act together you better change your behavior they they would tell me you better run down to an altar and if you had sinned any this last week and get your life right with God you better God you better beg God to forgive you for what you've done they would tell me God Come to God, believe in God, and he will give you eternal life. But but the way that they described it to me is my eternal life would last only a couple minutes until after the service was over and I sinned again. And then I needed to go back to the altar and give me some more eternal life. And so there was this mixture. Through this teaching of mixture, I was brainwashed to believe that the church And this whole new covenant thing, this whole movement, was actually about behavior modification. And I want to tell you, church, that that is not the point. It never was the point. It's not about rules and regulations. We are not under the law. We are under a new covenant. And that is what we are about here at The Exchange, we're about reclaiming the new that Jesus unleashed for the world. And so today, we're going to talk about what does it look like, what does new covenant life look like? What does it look like to live life in the new covenant? And to get the answer, it's very simple. We're just going to go to the one who set up this new covenant. And who set it up? Who inaugurated it? Everybody say Jesus. So we're going to look at Jesus, and you need to turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, we're going to read about Jesus. You see, on the same night, that Jesus announced the inauguration of the new covenant, which I talked about a couple weeks ago. He also explained what new covenant life would look like. Now, let me set up the scene for you guys. You see, if you remember, the occasion was Passover. Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. He's been with them, right, for three years. He's been walking in relationship for three years. This is not something that they had done for the first time. This is something they had done a couple times together. And for some reason, this night, it's kind of suspicious, but Judas, all of a sudden, he slips out to run an errand. Kind of an odd time to run an errand, but anyway, when the door slammed, it signaled the first in a series of of events that would culminate in a nightmare for everyone in the room. Whatever Jesus needed to be said, it needed to be said now. And so this is what he said. John recorded it for us in John chapter 13, verse 33. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll put it up for you the screen right here. He said this. He looked at his disciples, and he said, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, So I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Well, immediately, several of the guys, Peter in particular, probably didn't Hear much of what he had to say after that. They they were thinking, wait, 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 wait. Why? Where is Jesus going? Uh, why is he leaving? And 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 why can't we go with him? Because listen, Jesus was their security blanket. Everywhere that Jesus went, crowds would gather, and so when crowds would gather, the temple henchmen weren't welcome. So if Jesus went missing. If Jesus wasn't there and was missing, then guess what? They would probably go missing as well. So they're like, whoa, time out. We need security. If you go, we need to go with you. And you're saying that we can't go. Whoa, whoa, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, Jesus continues in verse 34, and he says this, a new command. Everybody say command. Come on, say command. He says a new command I give you. Time out, time out. Hold up. Okay, since the first of the year, we've been teaching you something that may be new to you and beyond belief. We've been teaching you proper historical contextual hermeneutics. So, who was Jesus speaking to? Did Jesus say this to you? No. When he said, a new command I give to you, was he speaking to you? No. Who was he speaking to? He was speaking to Jews that were born under the law. They were born under the old covenant. Now, you and I know for sure, we at least know this, that they had 10 commandments, 10 popular commandments, the big 10, right, that were given to Moses. Y'all know about those commandments. But did you know that they're also under the old covenant were over 600 commandments that they had under that old covenant? And now all of a sudden, Jesus, speaking to them, says, and a new command I give to you. Listen, they must have been thinking, we need a new command like we need another hole in our head. And and here's also another thing. Jesus had already, like Pastor Jared talked about a couple weeks ago, had summed up all of the commandments into two. Right? Love God and love your neighbor. And now why is all of a sudden, is he adding to what he, he's now adding a third, and then he's grouping and prioritizing commandments, I mean, now that's one thing, but now he's adding to them? I mean, I thought only God had the authority, who does he think he, he is to do something, only God can do that, but, but you know, now that I think about it, you know, only God had the authority to forgive sin. And also now that I think about it, only God had the power to raise the dead, and, and only God had the power to make blind eyes see. And Anyway, as it turned out, the people that he was speaking to didn't get what he was doing. You see, Jesus wasn't adding another command to the list of over 600 that they had. He was doing something far more radical than that. He continues in John 13, 34, a new command I give you. And what is that command? Love one another. Let that sink in. Love one another. Jesus made love, if you study this, he made love a verb verb. And then used the imperative form of the verb. This was in fact now a command, as in go over there and love those people. Jesus wasn't commanding these guys to feel something. He was commanding them to do something. But loving one another wasn't that wasn't something new. As it turns out, though, Jesus wasn't through. He went a step further. And what Came next, please focus in, was unthinkable. What came next changed the world. And perhaps if we would move what came next to the top of our agendas, it might change the world again, church. What came next made his message irresistible. What came next trumped the golden rule? You could call it the platinum rule. He said, as I has, have loved you, you must also love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. Now that was new. Jesus set a standard for love in this covenant that was to come. Doing for others what one hoped would do in, re- in return was was so old covenant. Jesus instructed his followers to do unto one another as he had done unto them. He raised the bar. This was a whole other kind of love. This love was now anchored in a person which made it extraordinarily personal for the men that were seated around him, the men that he was talking to. Listen, guys, when we read the words love as I have loved you, if we take that out of context and read it as Jesus is saying it to Kevin in 2019, what's the first thing that Kevin thinks of? Wow, Jesus, you're saying to me, Kevin, love as I have loved you. The first thing I think of, especially around Easter, is what? The cross. But they didn't think that because the cross hadn't happened. It hadn't taken place yet. What did they think about? They thought about the past personal three experiences of the past three years with him. Love as I have loved you. Immediately they thought back to the particular moment in time when Jesus had loved them and he had loved them well. He could have called them out. He could, have, he could have said, Matthew, in that moment, he could have said, Matthew, remember the first time that we met? Remember, remember when you were despised by your community and you were embarrassed by your family? But but what did I do? Matthew, I I invited you to come with me anyway. And Matthew, I want you to extend that same grace and that same love to everybody that you meet for the rest of your life Matthew as I have loved you go change the world Nathaniel Nathaniel Nathaniel's thinking oh man I remember when I first met him yeah Nathaniel remember what you said can anything good Do remember that, Jesus? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, you dissed my family, my hometown. You you dissed my childhood friends. And what did I do, Nathaniel? Did I kick dirt on you? I loved you. I accepted you in. I invited you in. Nathaniel, extend that same grace and forgiveness to everybody you meet. Nathaniel. As I have loved you, go change the world. And then he could have called them all out as an entire group. Hey, guys, you remember that one afternoon when I gave that crazy speech about eating my flesh and drinking my blood? And people got offended and they, they got so confused that we, we started losing them. They all started walking off and I saw that look in your eye. Y'all all all doubted. Y'all all started to leave. And did I turn my back on you guys? Did I tell you to go ahead and leave? Go ahead and get out of here. Did I ever hold it over your heads? No. I've always loved you and loved you well. Now, I want you to go and do unto others as I have done for you. And for good measure, he could have thrown this in. And, gentlemen, if you think that you have seen love, well, then tighten your sandals because you haven't seen anything yet. See, as the hinge, Jesus was the hinge between covenants. Jesus's mission was to lay the the groundwork for the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. The old covenant included laws for the nation to live by. It was a terms and agreement. That's how it worked. And Jesus's new covenant would include, guys, not laws not rules and regulations, but listen, there are instructions for our for his followers to live by. And here's the thing, this list wouldn't be now engraved on stone tablets. No, it was even prophesied that it would be now engraved on the hearts and minds and the consciences of his followers. It's in us. It's already in us. It's, it's in here. The instructions associated with Jesus' new covenant can easily committed, be committed to memory. The reason being, they aren't a they, they are an it. It's just a one. There's one commandment, which doesn't sound very commanding, does it? Right? Now, this should go without saying, but I'm going to say it again because I, I, I don't want us to miss it. The old covenant commands are a part of the Old Covenant. They go together. In other words, the end of the Old Covenant signaled the end of the rules and the regulations that are associated with it. You see, Jesus didn't issue His new command as an additional commandment to the existing list of commands. We all understand that, right? Jesus issued His new commandment as a replacement as a complete replacement it made everything else obsolete for everything in the existing list including the big 10 just as his new covenant fulfilled and replaced the old covenant jesus's new commandment fulfills and replaces the old commandments in other words participants in the new covenant are not listen we're not required to obey any of the commandments found in moses's instructions to ancient israel participants in the new covenant are expected to live out the single command it Jesus issued as a part of his new covenant. And I'll say it to you guys again. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Let that just soak in for a moment. That's what new covenant life looks like. In a response to Jesus' love, poured out unconditionally, in that way, now go and love everybody. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He was setting the stage for the new covenant that was about to begin. But here... He wasn't finished. He didn't stop talking right there. In fact, the significance of what Jesus said next, it can't be overstated. Here is the best way to understand what comes next. Just as, so now think about, flip a switch for a second to Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, there was a distinguishing mark that was included that you knew people were in the Old Covenant. That were in that covenant. And that distinguishing mark was circumcision. So men were circumcised in that covenant. That was the distinguishing mark. In the new covenant, the distinguishing mark... This new command, loving one another, would be the mark of the man or the woman who chooses to participate in the new covenant. Loving one another was to serve as the unifying behavior for this new movement of Jesus Christ called the church. This new command would be the governing ethic, the standard against which all behavior was to be measured for those who called him Lord. John 13, 35, this is what he continued to say. He said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everybody say love. Come on, say it again. Say love. Come on. If loving you and wrong, I don't want to be right. Love, love. That's how people will know. That's how people will know. That's how people will know. Notice his primary concern was not that they believe something. He insisted that they do something. That they do something. That they were to love. That they were to love. That they were to pick up signs and pick it and bring condemnation and rules and regulations. Is that what he said? Is that what Jesus ever did? No. (laughs) In fact, he laid down all rights to simply love, to love. Now, the men gathered that night had an inkling as to what this love might look like. But three days later, it became overwhelmingly clear. This love was demonstrated in a way that they could have never imagined. Now, here's something that I want you to think about. In doing what Jesus did in the transition from the Old to the New Covenant, there was a huge shift. It was a big shift. I want you to think about that, a big shift. Everything was totally different from the Old to the New Covenant. Jesus' new command created a big shift in the order of things. Jesus didn't tether his new command to the anchor that all the Jewish commands were traditionally tethered to. So all of those over 600 commands, they were tethered to things like the fear of God. Do these things out of the fear of God. It's tied to that. Do these things, they would tie it to things like devotion. We are the devoted people. That's why we do this, out of the fear of God. It sounds like some of the churches that some of us grew up in, Right? And that's that's what we're trying to say. There's a lot of mixture that we grew up in, guys, okay? That's not what Jesus came to establish, okay? Jesus, he tethered his new command not to that. He tethered it to himself. He says, love as I have loved you. You see, he inserted himself into an equation where mere mortals have no business inserting themselves into. And he was purposely making a shift from vertical to horizontal. The -the eye-to-the-sky days of the Old Covenant were coming to an end. The litmus test for being a Jesus follower was not going to be anymore like the Old Covenant, the ritualistic, day-of-the-week, festival-driven, don't forget your goat worship of an an invisible and somewhat distant God. Following Jesus would not be about looking for ways to get closer to a God, you know, who dwelt up there, out there, somewhere, Jesus' followers would demonstrate their devotion to God by putting the person next to them in front of them, by loving people around them. Jesus' followers were expected not to look up. They authenticated their devotion by looking around, by loving the world. But the shift did not stop there. Guys, it looked nothing like the Old Covenant. And this is why Bishop Jamie talked about it masterfully last week. God gave that nation and this new covenant a transition period of 40 years. Because if you remember, Jesus dies on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection starts the new covenant. But a lot of those people on that day didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And they kept... Offering the temple sacrifices and doing the old covenant practice worship the next day and the next week, and year after year they kept doing that after Jesus even ascended, and there was a transition period of 40 years before the finally the temple was completely then destroyed, and they couldn't even carry out the old covenant practice anymore. But God in his mercy gave them a transition period of 40 years. So, it was nothing like that, and the shift didn't just stop there. Noticeably absent from Jesus' new command instruction was any reference to his divine right to require allegiance and obedience. That's that's what the old covenant looked like. In what is arguably the most future-defining, like, what Jesus was talking about, setting up the new covenant set of instructions that we just read. Jesus refused to play the God card. Please notice that. Even in his his final, if you forget everything else I said, remember this moment. Jesus did not leverage his holiness He he didn't leverage his personal righteousness. He didn't leverage his divinely granted authority. In other words, Jesus didn't say, love people because I am almighty God and I say so. Because I am the Lord God almighty, the King of kings. Do as I command. He's exactly opposite of that. Couldn't be further from that. Instead, Jesus pointed to his example and how he loved Jesus, his love for the men in the room, rather his authority over the men in the room is what he pointed them to to inspire them to do what he was commanding them to do. And on a personal note to you all doing life now and living now in the new covenant, I say to you, Jesus's love for you not his authority over you is what I point you today to inspire you to go and love this world and turn it upside down and change this world. The men that Jesus spoke these words to that are recorded that we just read in John chapter 13 would not see Jesus seated in a position of authority in the heavenly throne at the right hand of the Father. No. These guys that he spoke these words to would literally see him hanging from the cross at the right hand of a criminal. It was his gory and gritty sacrificial display of love, not some old covenant keep your hands clean holiness that compelled his disciples to eventually take up their own crosses and follow him and change this world. I love how Paul described it I'll put it up on the screen for you in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to this. Verse 5, he said this, In your relationship with one another, so living in this covenant, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Who being in the very nature of God, so he, he literally was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. So he could have said, I am God, do as I command. He didn't play the God card, is what Paul is saying. Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And not just death, not just any death, death on a cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. See, Jesus did not leverage his equality with God to stir us into action. That's not what this new covenant is about. It's not what it's built on. He leveraged his love. This represents a total departure, a complete shift from the old covenant. Jesus did not anchor his new command to his divine right as king. He anchored it to his sacrificial love. Why should disciples obey his command to love? Because he loved them first. Because he loved them best. They were to do unto others as Jesus had already done and was about to do even better unto them. Hours later, Jesus staged a demonstration of love. Hours after he said this, knowing he said, I'm not going to be with you much longer. He knew it was coming. This demonstration of love, it took everybody's breath away. Even his own. And it took their excuses away. And it took our excuses away. Jesus leveraged his compelling love to compel his followers in this new covenant to love unconditionally everybody, anybody setting up this new covenant life. He said, by this, everybody will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. I wonder if we're known for that. I'm talking about worldwide as a church. I'm talking about in the city as the exchange. I'm talking about my family The Celts family, I'm talking about Kevin, am I known for love, for tolerance, for unconditional love, for laying down my rights? You see, Jesus' new covenant commandment established the governing ethic, it's about what we're about to talk about. For this new movement. It was simple. It's simple. Love. Love like I loved you. It's simple. It was all encompassing. It's far less complicated than over 600 rules and regulations. But it's far more demanding too. So I'm sure there's somebody here thinking. But Pastor Kevin. Kevin. This sounds too good to be true. You mean to tell me that in this new covenant, <laughs> like, there's no laws? Yes. You're, you're telling me that the Ten Commandments don't apply to us anymore. Like We don't need to be fighting for this stuff to be you know, in our courthouses. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, You're telling me that in this new covenant, that Jesus became my perfect Passover lamb, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Right? And, and you're telling me that now my past, present, and even my future sin, the sins that I haven't even committed yet, have been dealt with. That he's not imputing my sins against me at all. Absolutely. Then, what's stopping me from sinning? Nothing. Nothing Nothing ever has and nothing ever will. Even in the old covenant, nothing ever had. You always had free will in the old covenant. Actually, you were never born in the Old Covenant, but those people had free will in the Old Covenant. You have free will in the New Covenant. Somewhere along the line, there was a switch and there was a mixture that came in. And there was this ideology that came in that says the church was established to keep people from sinning. That we were deputized... To be the behavior police. That's what Jesus established. And I came to tell you today no, no, absolutely not. The church was established to change the world. Amen? And the way that we do that is by simply living a new covenant life. And so, what does that look like. By this, everyone will know your disciples if you love one another. And how does he want us to love? Like he loved us, right? It's very simple. So stop wondering, well, is this a sin? Can I, can I get away with this? Can I do this and still be a Christian? I mean, is that, I mean, that's, you know, that's what people ask. We ask these questions and, and instead ask a different question. Okay, get away from that, that type of thinking. I, I'm telling you, we got to get to a question that now introduces clarity to just about every moral, moral, ethical, and relational decision that we'll bump up against. This is a question that takes the care of the heart of Jesus, the new covenant command that he gave us, which is the standard by which we are to evaluate our behavior, conversations, and attitude. And I'll put it up on the screen, and here, what, here it is. What? Does love require of me? In the New Covenant ask that question. Years ago, there was this, was, me and Pastor Jerry were talking about this last week. There is this really cool song, and it's old and out of date now. But the, the lyrics went like this. It said, so, look what you've done for me. Your love has set me free. Jesus, my Savior, look what you've done for me. So he's, he's, he's getting his focus on the love of Jesus, right? And then he says, in a response to that, what can I do for you, my Lord? I want you to know my heart is yours. And then he says this, it's not a question of what you can do for me. What can I do for you? And so the heart now, us as people living in the new covenant, we start to ask this question. In response to his love, what, what does it look like to love people? What does love require? In a situation, when you find yourself, the simple question should stand guard over our conscience. It should serve as a guide, as a signpost, as a compass, as we navigate the complexities in our culture. It should inform how we date, how we parent, how we boss, how we manage, how we coach. It should form a perimeter around what I say, what I do in my role as a husband, as a pastor, as a neighbor, as I'm I'm in a relationship with my wife. When I get into any relationship, any any decision I have to make, I just ask myself, does this look like love? Does this in this instance, does this look like me loving her the way that Christ has loved me? You don't have to ask if it's a sin or not, or if I can do this and still be a Christian, blah, 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 blah. You don't have to ask yourself, what does the Bible say about this? I'm about to just make your brain explode. Because that was never a question in the new covenant church. Because if you think about it, when the new covenant church started and originated, in the first 200 years, the Bible as we know it didn't exist. So they weren't running to their neighbor and going, hey, Paul's not here right now. He's been sending us these letters. But, uh, hey, what's the Bible say about this? Can we do this? That's so old covenant. You know what the guy would say? Well, remember the leader of this whole thing that set this whole thing up? Jesus. He gave us a command. Love as he is loved. So in that situation with your wife or in that dealing as a boss with your employee or if you're a teenager going on a date, in that situation is the thing that you're looking at, are you going to love? Does it look like love? Love? It's not a question of if it's sin or if it's not sin. For years and generation after generation, we, the church, became the deputized sin police. And you're in or you're out. And we made God out to be an old covenant, Zeus in the sky, making a list, checking naughty or nice. He was... He was uh, he was uh, somebody that we were dating with a flower. He loves me. He loves me not. That's never how it was intended to be, and it was a made up fictional story. This is the new covenant that we live in. In this new covenant. Guys, I'm telling you, we are in a place where all you have to do, when unsure of what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. I'll put that up on the screen for you right quick. I'm going to count to three. I want to say that together. One, two, three. When unsure of what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. The instructions scattered throughout the New Testament answer the question, what does love require of me? The New Testament instructions. Go read the New Testament, okay? And I will tell you, not everything in the New Testament... Is new covenant, and we've we've talked about that. But when you're reading new covenant stuff in the in the new testament and, and you're reading this stuff, there are instructions that, that Paul is giving that, that has to do with, with sin issues, okay? And when you're you're reading those things, I'm telling you, it's not Paul and Peter and James and John adding commands to this new covenant, it's simply them applying Jesus' original command. You understand that? For us just to read the instructions now and imply it, Jesus' command obligates us now to also wrestle with a new and better question, but it does something else as well. His new command provides us with a new and better answer to an old question. Jesus' new command forces us to upgrade our answer to this question. Why? Why forgive? Why tell the truth? Why be generous? Why be a good person? You see, under the old covenant, why that question, why, was answered immediately with an eye to the sky. It was all vertical, right? Israel obeyed to fulfill their part to their old covenant contract with God. They obeyed so it would be good for them. It was quite selfish. It was all about them, right? They obeyed so they could be protected so it would go well with them, so that they could prosper. Old Testament prophets, listen, go read the Old Testament. That's great. It's Old Covenant, and you go read all the prophets. We talked about it in Beyond Belief at the first of the year. Those Old Covenant prophets will talk in an an Old Covenant paradigm in a different Old Covenant why. And their Old Covenant why is, is so it will go well with them. And they'll say stuff like, we did this. Do this and this and this so it will go well for us. They say it over and over again. Obedience will bring blessing. Disobedience will bring punishment. Israel and that old covenant obeyed rules and restrictions for their own sake. And I tell you this, unfortunately, that's the nature. It's the force. It's the tone of a lot of modern preaching and pulpits in America today. One of the devastating consequences of our mix and match church cultures is we have invariably mixed and matched old covenant and new covenant wise. And I, I tell you, I did this as a pastor for years. I took on the pressure and the weight. I deputized myself, and I felt like I had to get everybody's behavior modified, and I was going to stand accountable. My eye was in the sky and he was this taskmaster and I was going to stand in front of him and give an account. And if all these people weren't washed by me, I was the priest. And if they weren't all washed, then it was going to be bad on me. And so I would preach my heart out every, I would fill the altars. I would give an altar call every Sunday. And I could, I guarantee you, I was a professional at convincing people who were in Christ that they were not. And it produced no fruit. People got tired of it and they, they, they quit God. But I thought I was doing what I, I this is what I knew. It's, it's all that I knew. And then God came and he set me free to new covenant, to the love that he has for us. See, it's devastating because Jesus' new covenant came packaged, prepackaged with the new answer to the question why. With the inauguration of the new, new covenant, The question of why would no longer be associated with appeasing God. Jesus followers aren't instructed to obey in order to gain something from God. That's not why we love. Not because he said so or I'll do this so these things can happen. No, it's not like that. We obey God in light of his love. Because He's already done so much and we've already been given so much. It's because we know who we are and we know whose we are and that's what we do. We know our identity. We live our lives in a response to His love. His love is in us and we know who we are. It's inside of us. We just open up our lives and let His love come out. It happens naturally. The New Testament, New Covenant answer to why is always, that's what love requires of me because that's what's best for them. I'm putting them first. This is what Jesus did. The Old Covenant, why, centered around doing right by God. New Covenant, why, is always connected to the who and often the who beside you. The New Covenant, why, centers around doing right by your neighbor or your parents or your kids or your coworkers or the people you come into contact with every day. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here and help me finish. So I want you to think about that. Think about it this morning after everything that you've heard. What does it look like for you to live life in the new covenant? Just get rid of all the shackles of the rules and the rigs, the do's and the don'ts, and there's just one do, love, love, why? Because you have to, because I'm God and I'm telling you to, and if you don't, and if you don't, does that sound like him? And let me just say this, we'll get to this on down the line, but don't for a moment split the Father and the Son. We're about to enter into this time of, in fact, today's good, uh, or is Palm Sunday. And, And many times, because of this old covenant theology, mix and match, we have an eye to the sky, and we see Jesus on the earth with us. And we separate the Father and the Son. And then all of a sudden, we separate them and we say, I'm okay with this guy, the Son, but the Father, that's, that was kind of mean. I just want to tell you this. Just give you you something to think about. God didn't separate himself. They weren't two different entities. You understand that? God made himself into flesh. And when he made himself into flesh, became the sacrifice lamb. He didn't have a split personality and then Murder somebody. He laid down himself, himself as an offering. Okay? I think sometimes, even especially this time of the year, and especially of a mixture, we start to get a mentality like that, We're like, okay, I'm okay with Jesus, but the father, he sounds like a child abuser. I would never send my son to do something like that. But God is love. That's why that's what this whole command, this whole covenant is about. That's why in his love he laid himself down. He laid down his rights. Became flesh. Became the lamb. He don't have split personality disorder. Understand that? Cool? So today I ask you, what would happen if the church just got back to what Jesus came to bring? What would happen in the world if we oriented our lives, our marriages, our friendships, our professional relationships, our finances, and our time? around this inescapably simple and all-encompassing question. What does love require of me? God, what does it look like to love? To love and not just people, but this, this world, this earth, to take care of this earth, to love, to love. Maybe... We would stop cross-examining our Bibles and and looking for loopholes. Maybe instead we would just start searching for opportunities in our daily lives to love people better. Maybe... We would start to be characterized as Christians, as as people that have honor and mutual respect. Maybe families would start to live on a budget so that we could give away more. While people outside the faith community may be critical of what we believe, they would be envious of how we treat one another and they would be stunned of how we treat them with love, unconditional love. People who Where nothing like us would like us. You know, that kind of love changed the world once. And I'm convinced it can again. Please stand with me this morning. So to love that way, to love the way that Jesus called to. It requires us to have a complete break, though, with the obsolete old covenant. As long as we continue this mix and match of old and, and new, we'll never be free to love as we've been called to love. Until we do away with the old and we embrace the new, our love will always just be leveraged. It will not be pure And a leveraged love is not love at all. So I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes for a second. And I just want you to think about this. I just want you to meditate just for a minute. What does it look like for you to love this week? What does love require of you? What does love require of you at your home? What does love require of you at work? You know, the Spirit of God right now is speaking to your heart. What does love require of you at school? And there's no condemnation, He's just giving you thoughts. There may be correction. You may need to go in love and ask for forgiveness and change some things. That's all it is, it's just correction. It's just moving forward. What does love require of you in this community? You know you could change this community. You have the power of God inside of you to love this community, to radically love this world. Father God, I thank you this morning I thank you for this new covenant. I thank you that it's not far off. I thank you that you're not far off. I thank you that this new covenant is right here. I thank you that the Spirit of God is inside of us. And Spirit of God, I just ask that you continue to reveal that to us, that we know who we are and that we know whose we are, that we, in our identity, would realize that this unconditional love has been poured out on us the unconditional forgiveness has been poured out on us and now we are to go not as a command not as a requirement oh but as a joy as a labor of love that's what we do It's just in us. It flows naturally out of us. And as we continue to do it, Lord, it gains momentum. And we have stumbling along the way. And that's all right. That's why we have a community of like-minded believers that come together. We come together to build each other up. The body. The body produces life. Life flows to one another. For edification charging up rebuilding up we thank you for that you've set this up Lord God to change the world and we declare that's what we're doing we're doing it in your name not because we have to but because we want to and we thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said amen